I really liked this episode. Yeah, it was good. Also, when you said having to concentrate on driving, I was that just reminded me of part of my dream last night. Like driving very distracted and I was in the car with somebody and there was like a bunch of tomatoes that somebody had grown and they were like huge. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, check all those beef steak tomatoes. And I was like, oh my God, wait, I'm driving. Like look forward. That was it. Oh, okay. That was just part of it. I the thought... rest of it was like a weird sexy dream about an old boss. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, somebody give my brother-in-law a drive home. I got to bang my old boss. <laughs> I thought that was going to go a different way. I thought you were like, I was dreaming about what a terrible driver you are. <laughs> no, that's funny because it kind of transitions into what we talked about after last episode. I beat myself up pretty bad, which is whatever. Like being, I'm not making excuses for being a shitty driver. It's just, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be better all the time. But our buddy Johnny will text us sometimes after we record and just like pump us up. Johnny's just like awesome about listening to the podcast and stuff. And he was like, you be kind to yourself and everybody makes me mistakes and i was like you don't know all of the details of the other shit we talked about but i john don't tell her that shit she's gonna hurt people <laughs> no i mean i just appreciate it because i'm like no it's it's yeah. not cool it was stupid he's like don't talk to your, about yourself yeah. like that so then gabe and i were talking on the phone and i was like we should say something kind about it because we should encourage positive oh, self-talk right. I, I want everybody else to feel awesome about themselves but then i sit around and call myself stupid and ugly right yeah so i was like i want to say something nice about ourselves and like be genuine about it and then everybody else take a second and think something nice about yourself right yeah. sure yeah i forgot you suggested this yeah um okay you go first no <laughs> Um, let's see. It's going to be something surface level because I don't have any emotional energy right now. Um, I love my hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm funny. You are funny. Yeah. I was going to jump in and say one for you. Oh, yeah. Even though, like, your hair is gorgeous, but you have a very strong presence that people are attracted to. Really? Yeah. Like one of those mosquito zapping machines? <laughs> I'm like, come closer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you destroy whoever's <laughs> <laughs> in your orbit whoever comes too close <laughs> i okay wait i got a great rack no <laughs> you, do. <laughs> you do um you've always had a great rack let's see i i'm creative you are very i have creative. a lot of ideas yeah you're really i, I remember before you had kids i was like oh tasha's gonna be a like a fun mom like where they just know like how my mom she just like was like projects, you know, and like mm. knew how to do all these things and you know how to do some of the shit you come up with. I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know where that came from. It's crazy. It's actually really crazy. That was really uncomfortable to say. Was it? Isn't it? Like just to say something, because it's like we're more comfortable like talking down about ourselves or more like, like right. if somebody's like, oh my God, you look so cute today. I'm like, like oh my you. God, I'm a big fat piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Welcome to SVU Pod Especially Heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. Oh, I thought I was going to throw you off. <laughs> I, it did for a second. There was a pause. I was like, wait, no, I'm Gabe. <laughs> just kidding. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. Yeah. You just tried that like <laughs> Looney Tunes. <laughs> I did and it worked. <laughs> no. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. No. Ah! <laughs> we are on... Season one, episode 22. The last episode. The last episode of the season. This episode is called Slaves. Mm -hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Let's get into it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the opening scene, they're in the squad room. Kraken comes in and is letting everyone know that the one police plaza is doing the bi-yearly psychological exams. Apparently it's like a new thing and they're using SVU as a guinea pig because it's a super high stress squad. So Kraken's going to go first. Munch seems to be worried about confidentiality. And Stabler's like, at the risk of sounding like John, what's their angle here? And I was like, Meh. good Munch burn. Yeah. Uh, Stabler's like, can we flunk it? What happens if you do? Like, are we going to lose our jobs? Munch says, how much do you want to bet they just slapped a new cover on the old Minnesota multiphasic exam. And I was like, that's hilarious because we just talked about that with John Hinckley Jr. Oh, yeah. You know, the one where he tested at the peak of abnormality. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a guy comes in with a thick Romanian accent wanting to report a sex crime. Olivia's like, come on in, have a seat. He tells him he works at a, like a fruit stand. Mm -hmm. It was like right after he got robbed by a couple of kids. The kid thing came up and I was like, if, th if this is an episode about fucking kids, right. I'm <laughs> going to burn my house to the ground and quit doing this entirely. Yeah. And this woman comes up to him and she's speaking in Romanian and tells him that she's in a situation she can't get out of mm -hmm. and slips him 
a piece of paper with the name Costan- Costanza. Costanza. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Ba-dum, <laughs> Constantin Constanta Condrescu Condresca. I, I don't know how do you say that. Her last name. Constanta Codrescu. 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 She gives a piece of paper to the dude at the fruit stand and she's like, tell her she was right. I need help. Yeah. And then they're like, when when was this? Like today? And there he was like, Oh, it was like three days ago. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. So then they're still in the squad room. The fruit stand guy is working with a sketch artist. Craigan is irritated that this wasn't brought to them like three days earlier. Mm-hmm. We all are. Yeah. But apparently, like, he was really only reporting it because to shut up his wife. Yeah. He, like, slipped the story to her. And she's like, oh, um, are you not going to go to the cops, you piece of shit? And he's like, shut up. And he went to the fucking ass view. So they're getting the schedule together. And they're going to follow up with Constanta Could Rescue. Benson and Stabler go to her apartment. They show her the sketch. And they're like, hey, do you know this girl? And she's like, nope. And they're like, come on. And she's like, yeah, it's my niece. (laughs) No, it was so easy. (laughs) She's like drinking some tea and she's like, looks kind of scared and nervous. Mm -hmm. You don't know why. I mean, it could be she's just like, there's fucking cops in my house. Right. But then you find out it's her niece. Yeah. Her niece's name is Elena Conresc. Elena. Her (laughs) name is her fucking niece's name is Elena and that they're not close. Yeah. She said where she comes from, the less you tell the police, the better. Mm -hmm. And they're like, dude, she could be in trouble and we're trying to help her. So like help us here. Mm-hmm. Olivia turns around and picks up a random photo and is like, oh, is this her? Because <laughs> Constanta's like, yeah, but I haven't seen her since she came here three years ago. She came here on a student visa to go to NYU and then she's just gone. Benson and Stabes don't believe her and neither do I. Yeah. So Munch goes to NYU and it turns out Elena never showed up to school. The admissions lady said that she was supposed to come there and she just never came. And Munch is like, well, do you know why? And this lady just rolls her eyes and she's like, no, we have 10,000 applicants every year. And then she walks him out to this hallway like to show him the admissions stuff. And it's like a Santa's workshop of file cabinets. It looks like the mailroom in the movie Elf. I think I'm just getting Christmas in my brain. (laughs) Don't. But there's like people pushing carts around and it's a mile of fucking file cabinets. Fast forward to today and there's like one SD card with all of this shit on it. Right, yeah. So Craigan and Dr. Audrey are in a room at the precinct. They're going to sit down for his psych eval. She starts asking him about his hobbies and golfing and what he does for fun. And he's like, fun? Mm-hmm. She asks him about this stuff because she's like... First he- of all, it's this Dr. Audrey. Yeah. The lady from the subway rapist. Yes. Wait, did you say that already? No. Well, oh. I said it was Dr. Audrey. But Oh, I was just like, oh shit, it's her. She's great. Yeah. 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 They already trust her, so it's good that she's doing it. I know. Aren't you guys glad you like opened up and let her in? Yeah. But she's asking this stuff because she's like, you know, what you do to unwind and relax. Uh, you see the worst of everything every day. You know, murder, rape, terrible abuse. Mm-hmm. It's as certain as your morning cup of coffee. Yeah. So she's like, there must be something you do to help you cope with it. And Craigan immediately goes to like a fucking 10. And yeah, he's, he's like, like just getting more and more agitated. Yeah. He's like, why don't you just ask me? That's the problem with you people. You dance around what you want to say when you should just come out and ask me if it makes me want to drink. <laughs> she, her face the whole time was like, <laughs> like, you know that, that meme with the guy that's like blinking like, excuse me? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was that. <laughs> She's like, do you want to talk about your alcoholism? (laughs) Because obviously he's like, no, but I will. Yeah. And he gives us a big, long speech about how this shit makes him want to drink every fucking day. And he knows he could just crawl into a bottle and all of this shit would just turn off. Mm -hmm. And she's like, are you gonna? He's like, ask me tomorrow. Oh, yeah, it was real intense. But you could tell like none of these guys want to talk to a shrink. Hit up a meeting, bro. (laughs) You know, like. (laughs) Talk to your sponsor or something, because that shouldn't, every day like that? Oh, yeah. That's so ironic I said that. So Benson and Stabler are at some kind of park, and they go up to this guy with clown face paint making balloon animals. This guy is fucking on. Yeah. Do, 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 do. This guy, to Stabler, he's like, you seem like a wiener dog guy. (laughs) And Stabler's like, you don't know how wrong you are. And I'm like, what does that mean? I know, that was weird. And he's like obnoxiously making balloon animals and blowing balloons right in Olivia's <laughs> professional face. Yeah. He's like, you're a giraffe. <laughs> She's like, whoa. They ask him if he knows the girl. They show him the composite sketch. And he does. He says he sees her all the time and that she comes to the park with this eight or nine year old little girl. It's so weird that you're not doing, because he was so New Yorky clown guy. Oh, yeah. That it's funny that you're not doing his accent. I think it was focused on the dorky clowniness of him. Yeah. Now I feel like it's a missed opportunity that I didn't do his accent. No, it's good. It's fine. No, it's good. It's old. Uh, 
<laughs> so Stabler's like, she can't have a little girl. She's only like 21. And we all know that doesn't mean shit, right. first of all. Yeah. But the clown balloon guy is like, well, yeah, it's not her kid. It's her nanny, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he says he saw her yesterday. So they're like, cool. Yeah. So she's like, okay. Mm-hmm. So they're at the precinct. Craig and Benson, Stabler and Jeffries are in the squad room and they're talking about her and her being at the park the clown said that she didn't seem stressed so they're all confused like one day there's an SOS note and then three days later she's all cool at the park yeah Craig is just like I wondered if he was just going to be agitated the whole episode because like more so than usual Mm -hmm. he wants her in the precinct like yesterday yeah He's like, she needs to clear up and explain this shit. Yeah. The phone rings. Stabler answers the phone. Apparently there was a homicide and the body was dumped in. The body was dumped on the Henry Hudson with Benson's card found in the victim's pocket. So they're on the side of the parkway um, at the edge of the Hudson. The body was dumped wrapped in a rug. Probably that day. Yeah. It was found by a fisherman who thought he found a cool rug for his wife, (laughs) which I thought was funny. Oh my God. And... The cop that's on the scene, I'm like, Officer Reba McIntyre, circa 2005, Laird Bob meets them and tells them all about it. Oh, my God. Right? I was like, I know there's a Reba look that matches this redheaded cop. And so I spent 20 minutes on my phone just (laughs) Googling different eras of Reba. 2005, guys. 2005, yeah. Maybe Reba got that haircut idea from this episode. She saw it and she's like, give me that, Andre. (laughs) So it's fucking Constanta. Oh, yeah, that's right. We forgot to say who was in the rug. So she must have contacted Elena and got in trouble for it. She was killed within two hours of meeting with Benson and Stabler. Mm-hmm. So they're at the Emmy's office. The Emmy who was in the wire is the one on duty. Yeah. So she was already dead when she was put in the rug. There was no signs of a struggle, but something stopped her heart instantaneously. And that something won't be known until they get the blood back from toxicology. The time of death was between four and six. The Emmy can't find a puncture wound to like yeah. see where she was injected with whatever. And he's an expert in this. But then Olivia is just like, oh, oh, I just stumbled across a suggestion. What about under her tongue? And he's like, hmm. Well, there it is. Yeah. I was like, come on. So then they're at the precinct and the team is discussing it. It just doesn't make any sense. First of all, how did someone inject her under the tongue without a struggle? Right. What? That I was just thinking about somebody coming up and being like, (laughs) and I'd be like, go, get out of my mouth. And you're like, ah. So then they're like, was she sedated? But also they think like, that's a weird series of events. How does that happen? Yeah. yeah. I didn't even take major notes on this. Munch. I didn't either. I thought you would because I was like, fuck Munch. <laughs> he, Munch took the liberty of contacting Interpol. Elena's father was murdered in 89 in the Ceausescu regime or whatever it's called. You took way more notes than I did. <laughs> okay, but he he thinks whatever happened to the family started in Romania. And I, I didn't go into the whole thing where I was like, I'm not Googling this. No. I'm not fucking munching the, around on this. Munching around. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's always coming with the broad, confusing conspiracies. Yeah. There's always that person in the group project that makes the worst suggestions. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, and you're like, maybe. Get out of here. <laughs> you hear him out. You know, you're like, okay. Yeah. If you don't know that person in the group, it's you're you. You're that person. Yeah. It's you. Mm-hmm. I think it's me. And then everybody tries to like steer them back to something reasonable. It might be you actually. I think it is because I know the person in my life and it's my dad, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But like you occasionally throw them a bone and you're like, yeah, that's a great suggestion. Then they get, you get super praised for it. Have you ever been super praised for like a really basic idea in a group project? I wouldn't, I wouldn't know if it was basic, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Oh my God, my world. You can't be the munch. So Craigan's like, sweet idea, bro. How about we just like, you know, keep it local? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and Munch's face, he did this thing. I can't even describe it. I'm just going to do it for you. He goes like. <laughs> 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 do you remember? Yes. He does that face a lot. Yeah. Benson and Stabler are at the apartment of Constanta. Oh, the tea that she was drinking. Yeah. When she was talking to them was not finished. She must have just like booked out of there. Right. There's an address book. But the page that Elena's information would have been in is ripped out. Mm-hmm. Munch and Jeffries had checked with the neighbors and no one even remembers, really remembers Constanta. Like it seemed like she was kind of private. And then Munch and Jeffries go to check out where she worked. She worked at some restaurant. Yeah. Called Cafe Parkova. Prahova. Cafe Prahova. The only reason I know that is because I started watching it with subtitles, which is like the That's, way to go. Yeah, I thought about doing that but i was like it's gonna take me a long time to figure out how to put subtitles on this thing i am the project idiot (laughs) (laughs) 
So Jeffries is talking to the restaurant owner now. That's the owner? Oh, I thought it was she was just a worker. Whatever. I assumed that she was the owner just because she knew a bunch of stuff, but mm. she was like setting up. I don't know. It. She read as owner to me. Oh, I think she just read as waitress because she was like wearing the outfit and was like doing table stuff. And I thought owners are in the back or something. Oh, yeah. I Small businesses like they're. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Constanta was working to help her niece Elena come to the U.S. for school, but it was going to take another year just based on like the money that it would cost. Mm-hmm. In that that time, Elena met this businessman at a discotheque in Bucharest, and he said he would bring her to the States. And she's like, oh, it was going to be frequent flyer miles, so it wasn't going to cost him anything. And he had a part-time job for her. Like, it was the perfect setup. And Constanta was like, no. No. This oh is God, a, no. Yeah. Like, there's something wrong here. Elena just, like, showed up. Yeah. And she was like, how the fuck are you here? Right. And she told her, and she then they got into, like, a big fight about it. Mm-hmm. Ugh. So she could never reach this dude, and the restaurant owner doesn't know his name or anything more about him. Mm-hmm. I wrote, Elena thought he was a nice man, and I wrote, yeah, right. <laughs> They're in the precinct room. Dr. Audrey, the shrink, is talking to Benson now. She asks her why she volunteered to be an SVU. Benson explains that she is the child of a rape. Dr. Audrey asks if that affects her judgment at all. And Benson admits she's walking on a tightrope. Benson references the episode, it's actually episode one, mm. where the Serbian victims killed the rapist and how she got really emotional during that case. That was the episode where Stabler was like, there's no crying in baseball. And we were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> You know, it was like a whole thing for us. Dr. Audrey asks her about having to use her service weapon. And she's like, yeah, my partner was about to be shot. So I remember that episode. Um, and they're referencing earlier in the season when that dude was out of prison and had his wife captive, the one with the missing dick judge. Remember? And she's like, oh, my God, the lipstick. This is <laughs> I know the chemical compounds of every lipstick. Beep, boop, 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 beep. <laughs> remember that? Yeah. <laughs> So Dr. Audrey asked Benson if she wasn't in sex crimes, what else would she be doing? Olivia seems to get a little emotional and doesn't know how to answer. And she was like doing that quiver lip cry thing. Yeah. She like wells up. Yeah. yeah. She kind of shrugs. And I was like, she was born to do this. She belongs there. Yeah. Mm. And that's it of that. It was yeah. weird. So Benson meets up with Stabes and plays it cool. They go into the forensics office and the rug Constanta was found in is a bougie ass Persian rug, like five grand. Mm-hmm. And Stabler's like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, I already made an Andrew Dice Clay joke this year. <laughs> yeah, you get one a year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they found a root intact human hair on the rug, yeah. and it's not the victims. Ooh, a lead. Mm. Jeffries and Munch are at Air Bucharest looking into Elena's flight to the U.S. in August of 97 when she first came. Mm-hmm. The phone starts ringing and Munch bites the dude's head off with a monologue about leaving people on hold and blah, 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 blah. And the guy's like, I believe it's your phone, sir. And then he really knows how to answer phones quick now because he was just like. <laughs> like just. So the dude's name that bought the ticket is Randolph Morrow. Mm-hmm. Boom. Oh, my God. Benson Stabler at Randolph Morrow's house. They're knocking on the door when a woman comes out and out of like the side, yeah, like basement part or whatever. And she's like, can I help? And it's fucking Elena. Yeah. So she's young, very thin and nervous looking. They're like, we got your message to her aunt. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the little girl mm-hmm. jumps into her arms. And then they're inside the house and she's saying that Mr. and Mrs. Morrow have been good to her. They let her know that her aunt was murdered three hours after they talked to her. Elena says that she didn't know anything about it and denies ever sending anyone a message. And she was completely emotionless when they yeah. told her about her aunt. Yeah. She looks scared to me. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh my God, I have to get dinner ready for when the Morrows come home. He likes his dinner to be ready. Um, there's also a bunch of rugs in the house that are similar to the rugs you notice that there were like 15 rugs i was like come on guys like (laughs) look around let me guess i'm like mad at them for not looking around and then i didn't notice either but i'm not the detective here (laughs) well i was thinking more of the writers you're like we get it they did it (laughs) so as they're leaving benson asks her why she never started at nyu three years prior and elena just shut the door yeah Mm, makes me sad for her i know so they're in the the squad room dr audrey is suggesting that elena has stockholm syndrome okay it's named after some hostages in sweden during a botched bank robbery in stockholm Mm -hmm. with only six days of captivity the victims actively resisted the police and refused to testify against their captors and raised money for their legal fees and munch mentions patty hearst which is another famous stockholm syndrome thing this is a bizarre case. There's a, there's a bunch of documentaries about it. But. Yeah, I wish I could do like three chasers. As, I, as I'm watching I this, I'm just like, oh my God, Stockholm Syndrome, Patty Hearst. Like they're both crazy, interesting true crime stories. Yeah. But like there'll be plenty of opportunities because there's all kinds of crimes where women yeah. are held against their will. Yep. 
Dr. Audrey explains how it doesn't take a lot to brainwash somebody. Isolation, death threats, violence, and, and then random acts of kindness. In as little as 72 hours, a person's psyche can be completely broken down. Mm-hmm. Remember, uh, this wasn't long ago. What was her name? Jamie? Fuck, it was in Wisconsin. Jamie Kloss. Her parents were murdered. She was abducted. And then she was, I just got chills. And then she escaped after 88 days. This was in my hometown. Like my yeah. family members up there know, like knew her. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? It was so fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. But then she was just like went to somebody's front door. No, she was like. Or she was on the road. She was, was like on a. Yeah, it was like in the neighborhood of where she was being held, which mm-hmm. was like 20 minutes away. Anyway, because um, then I thought about doing it about her. Right. We don't you know, know anything about it either, really. Like she hasn't really talked. Oh, no. Yeah. I listened to a podcast that was all about that. It was like a six part I listened to that too. Yeah. Oh, did you? Yeah. But yeah, it it was more about like the case because her actual experience, like she's fucking 13 years old. Like she doesn't have to talk about that shit. No, for sure. Ugh. She shouldn't have to at no. all. I mean, it's insane what happened to her. They did a fucking bang up job of getting her fucking face out there. Mm-hmm. Like she was everywhere, everywhere in Wisconsin and everywhere in the country too. Was, it was she? Like a, yeah, it was like national. Also, it helped too because remember it was the same year that the guy from this, that town got oh. on The Voice and he, I think he like won or almost won. Or, no, he won. So he was doing a lot of like um, advocating for yeah him? and he like he has his family his wife and his kids and stuff they live in Barron. so i didn't know any of so that when he came back um he was obviously like doing like little benefits and stuff for her and like isn't that bananas though that like you can't count it out you know it's like well she's gone she's like she's not alive you know and then because well, it's like sudden... nine out of ten times that's what happens oh you know what i mean such a crazy story like that it's so rare that anybody like a kid goes missing and cu- and comes back in the neighborhood a lady was was really cold and the lady was just walking her dog yep and she just kind of comes out of some trees and the lady recognized her because of all this stuff and was like oh my god and like took her yeah she yeah oh she's the one who ran her over to somebody's house and was like can we use your phone this is jamie claus yeah and they were like oh yeah yeah fucking nuts Still with the squad room thing. Elena's been there three years and Craigan said, if that is what really was happening to her, she's going to be very little help. Yeah. They need to go figure out what's going on in the house without Elena's help. If she has Stockholm syndrome, then she's like yeah. gone. You know? But isn't that like isn't that amazing? That's what made me think of Jamie Kloss because she was there for eighty eight days and was like wanting to escape every fucking day. Yeah. Like she never I mean, maybe she went through periods of it. That's not for us to say. But he might have not been fucking nice to her at all. Giving her any like the nice nuggets to like make her stock homey. So it's Munch's turn with Dr. Audrey now. And I'm like, I hope she gets paid time and a half for having to deal with his shit. Yeah. He's dodging her questions left and right. Just like she'd ask a question and he would ask a question, like that tactic to like get time. Yeah. She's like, Do you always deflect personal questions with jokes? And he's like, Do you always deflect jokes with personal questions? And that I was, was like, funny. Yeah. I was like, That made me, that <laughs> yeah. made me laugh. So he struggles to be vulnerable, but he's like, So why, why don't you talk about me since I have a hard time talking about me? And he's just dying for somebody to talk about him anyway. So whatever. <laughs> um, She's like, okay, you've been married three times, each of them beautiful, spoiled, and failed to match you intellectually. And I want to know the fucking aptitude personality beauty contest that's being held. I'm insulted for his ex-wives. I feel like I have another set of eyeballs inside of my head, and they're just fucking rolling this whole time. I can hear them. Yeah. It's, like a, it's like a marble. Brrr, yeah. Constant. Marble on a hardwood floor. <sighs> oh, because my brain's empty because I'm the bad... Jesus I'm, Christ. I'm the, I'm the bad project person. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just wanted to make you feel f- stupid. Oh. No, I mean like make you feel... <laughs> you know what I mean? Make you feel uh, uncomfortable. So really this whole scene is just to highlight here that Munch is a romantic with a soft little center, but he has a pretty intense wall built up. Mm-hmm. Don't care. So Benson and Stabler are walking with a couple who are walking their yellow lab. They're the Moro's neighbors, and they look like they're coming from shooting a Land's End Christmas catalog cover. Oh, my God, her beret. What? She had a beret on. Oh, her beret. I'm like, what's her beret? (laughs) It's a New York thing. You ain't get it. (laughs) They've never really talked to Elena, but they say the Moro's are nice. They say something about how Elena's only been with them for a year, and Benson and Stabler were like, oh, we thought it was three years. And they're like, no, a year tops. Yeah. The husband says that Mrs. Morrow is a vet, so anyone who helps animals is great by his standards. And while he's saying that, Gabe, did you get my text? Yeah, but I didn't know. I couldn't find anything. This. This is a dog. Oh, my God. What? While he's saying this, 
he gets out a plastic bag and he's picking up oh. his dog's shit and he examines the shit within inches of his face. Yeah. And he looks to them and he's like, anybody who's good with animals is good with yeah. me. And then he looks back at the shit and examines yeah. it further. He looks like he's disgusted and you're like, well, get the shit away from your face. <laughs> I'm like, even if you're playing a dog owner, you don't like close up inspect a dog turd. You're not like, ew, gross. And just keep looking at it. What is this guy's fucking backstory? Did he create a character to be so pet involved that he gets out of fucking jeweler's loop to like inspect <laughs> his dog's dump? Oh my god. Anyway, so they say Mr. Morrow's a financial business type dude. <laughs> Yeah. I just loved it so much. You have to go back and watch it again. Because one, I did notice that because I was like, and he picked up the dog. Like I likened him picking up his dog's poop. Like this is me critiquing someone's acting. But it's like you didn't give the dog long enough to take a shit, first of all. Like when you stopped and then bent over to pick up the poop. You're basically drinking a cup of coffee on screen and we know that the cup is empty. Yeah. Like that's yes. what it was. And he like didn't put his hand in the bag or do anything that a everybody. Yeah. Everybody knows. You don't just take a plastic bag from like fucking King Supers. That's for <laughs> you guys in Colorado. <laughs> and just scrunch it up into a ball and then scrape up poop. Everybody knows that you put the bag over your entire hand like a fucking normal human cow inseminating <laughs> glove. Yeah. And pick up the turd and then wrap it around. Like everybody knows the method you of how to like, do it. You like wrap it around your head. <laughs> <laughs> your hand, hand was all the way up here. You suffocate yourself while inhaling your dog's turd. Yeah. That's how you inhale your dog shit. Yeah, and then you die together. <laughs> Anyways, they're at Mr. Morrow's office. I oh. this guy. Um, I recognize him from stuff. I didn't even Google it though. I d I googled a bunch of it. Go, you do okay. this then. So at first, I'm like, he looks like a dude who goes yachting and shit, and mm -hmm. so I immediately hated him. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, I need to know more about him. I want to know who he is as an actor. Okay, Blaine from Pretty in Pink. Mm -hmm. He was also in Saint Elmo's Fire, mm -hmm. Weekend at Bernie's. He was like an '80s big fucking deal. Well, yeah, but he was always like the sidekick, right? He was never like a main character, right? Yeah. Or was he a big? Yes, yes. He was like a character, not a character actor. What's the other one called? Supporting actor. Yeah. And he's done like a bunch of like a bunch of small roles, but he had like those were some of his big known roles. And then since then, like present day, he's a director and he's directed like Orange is the New Black and shit like that. Oh. So he's doing stuff. So I was like, I'm glad that I knew that because then I didn't hate him as much. Yeah. Olivia goes to sit down in an armchair and Mr. Morrow was like irritated by that. He tells her the couch is more comfortable and she said, I'm fine. And he gives her this really weird look. He does this like, like he was just like shocked. He does like a long blink like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, he says that Elena told him about her aunt. He said he had never met her aunt, but he had met Elena in Romania and Elena wanted to come to the States and he needed a nanny. Well, they were like, oh, he's, she's been there with you for three years. And he's like, yeah, I guess it's about been three years. They were like, oh, the neighbors said it's only been like a year. And he's like, yeah, well, they're very observant. And I was like, was the very observant statement a commentary on that dude staring at his dog <gasps> shit? Am I making something out of nothing here? Because I was like, it makes sense. I'm going to rewatch that part again. Oh, and then the assistant walks in. This little, like, blonde lady. She was so cute. Mm -hmm. Little pixie cut. Yeah, and he's like, hey, Louise. He gives her shit about, he's like, I like the blinds to be open halfway midday. And she was like, yeah. And he's like, what time is it? She's like, 3.30. You know, and he's like, please adjust them now. So he's, like, super into control. Like, the way he speaks to her, condescending and, like, set up to show Benson and Stabler his level of control, as well mm -hmm. as show her his level of control. Yeah. Like he's getting fucking off at the fact that she didn't do the blinds right. Right. Benson and Stabler like shoot a look at each other like what the fuck. Stabler asks him where he was between four and six on Monday the day that Constanta was killed. <laughs> he said he was in negotiations and on the way out Olivia tells him there's a hair on his suit and like takes it off him which was like a cool little power move. Yeah. I thought there I thought there wasn't a hair but there actually was I guess. Oh I know. I thought I thought she was just like oh there's an imperfection here and I'm gonna notice it. That's what I thought at first too. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler are out in the street and they're talking about what a douche he was. <laughs> Olivia says she's going to compare the hair on his suit to the hair in the rug. Stabes gets a phone call. OMG, it's toxicology. Buthanasia was found in Constanta's system and it's what they use to put animals to sleep. And Mrs. Um, Morrow is a vet. Oh my God. Okay, can I do this scene? Yes. I cannot emphasize enough that I am going to struggle staying on task in this scene. Okay. Um. So we are at 
the Morrow Veterinary Office. Benson and Stabler are talking to Mrs. Morrow, and she continues to work, such as the life of anyone coming into contact with SVU detectives. Mm -hmm. She is treating the cutest fucking King Charles Cavalier. I'm so glad that you said, because I almost typed the King Charles Uh, Cavalier thing. This dog stole the entire fucking scene. Mm -hmm. All of you can just stop attempting to act right now. They talk to Mrs. Morrow about the vet clinic. They ask her about Elena and her husband, and she keeps kind of going round and round back to the same place. She keeps referring to them having like a routine. Yes. Not answering the question, being like, do you like Elena? She's like, we have a routine. Right. Like, like okay. She keeps telling them to just like, talk well, to my you, husband. you should yeah. talk to my husband about that. Enter Barry the vet tech. Yes. I was like, holy shit. Is that deadpan comedian Todd Barry? A chunk of time on Google later. I find out that it's Michael Kelly, who I recognize from the show House of Cards. Mm-hmm. I was convinced it was. That's why I like did some such hard digging on it, because I was like, this has to be fucking Todd Barry. You know who Todd Barry is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Wait, do I know who Todd Barry is? He looks exactly like this guy. And his name was Barry. Yeah. That's weird. But then I thought, I'm not the only one who thought that this guy looked just like Todd Barry. So I started looking into that, and I found a tweet from 2017. Oh, I love Todd Barry, yeah. Yeah. They don't look alike, but go ahead. Oh, really? No, they do. Because, <laughs> oh, be, I was like, oh, really? Because Todd Barry thinks they do. I found a tweet from Todd Barry in 2017, and he says, just stood on the subway next to the House of Cards dude who looks like me. It was like when Cobain and Westerberg rode that hotel elevator together. (laughs) All right, back to the scene. Another vet tech pops his head in and tells Mrs. Morrow that there's a hit and run. And she's like, oh, oh, perfect timing. It's her out. Yeah. So she's got to go take care of that. So she leaves the detectives, Barry, and what I have to imagine is the sweetest dog ever. So then I was like, I wonder whose dog that is. Like, is it an actor dog or was somebody like, oh, I can bring Charlie in for the day if we need a dog for a vet scene. King Charles are super, super chill. So I'm sure the dog was like the easiest one to work with. Yeah. Like huskies are the Christian bale of dogs. <laughs> um, like they're super disciplined, but notoriously difficult. I yeah. was thinking about this for a long time. And then I'm like, oh my God, Cavalier King Charles is the Tom Hanks of dogs. <laughs> Anyway, so the vet leaves the room. Benson and Stabler cut off Barry the vet tech, and they start asking him about the facility, and he's like, yeah, we've got our own OR, recovery room, and they're like, pharmacy? And they've got one of those. Olivia throws out that she assumes it's computerized so that they can be monitored by the DEA, and Barry says the monitoring isn't as stringent as it is in human hospitals. Right. And Stabler attempts at a munch joke? He's like, not too many poodles become crackheads. (laughs) (laughs) Barry uses his out, which is, I really got to do a rectal, so. (laughs) Stabler gives him his card and says, call us if you want to tell us anything else. They know that Barry's holding out on them. Yeah. So now they're in the interview room with Jeffries, and I remember this fucking episode. Mm. This is how I'm remembering this. Dr. Audrey asked Jeffries about her injuries, like the one in the thing where the car blew up. Remember? Yes. I love that they're doing these, like, little recaps about the season yeah. by how it fucked up each of the detectives. Mm-hmm. Jeffries was like, I actually feel like more alive than I've and clear than I've felt in a while. And she also describes the feeling after the accident, like three shots of espresso without the jitters. Yeah. And the doctor asked if she was in a relationship and she was like, I wasn't a long-term one, but as soon as I started SVU, it pretty much was the end of that. Mm-hmm. She says she's been celibate like pretty much up until the car explosion thing. Yeah. And she's like, I've been dating a lot. Like a lot. Like a bunch of dudes. Yeah. Jeffrey says a few nights ago she was at this bar and a guy was watching and staring at her and they just start they started dancing and she thought she recognized him. And then when they got outside and she could see him in the light more, it was this guy she was watching a year ago on a case. They thought he was a suspect. Like she was getting a lot of huh from Dr. Audrey. Yeah. Dr. Audrey's like, What did you do? Yeah. And Jeffrey's is like, I went home with him. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. So they're in the squad room. Jeffries walks by Munch and Munch is like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And she's got like a weird look on her face. So the vet assistant walks in, of course. Barry. Barry. Barry's back. He comes in in a cute little denim jacket. Oh, with (laughs) the fur, the like Yeah, it was like the, it was the denim jacket that had like the shearling inside with Mm -hmm. the collar, like a brown corduroy. It was very cute. I want one of those. Yeah. I I saw it and I immediately thought, oh, Gabe's going to love that jacket. (laughs) But he asks Munch if he can talk to Benson or Stabler. And I'm like, Barry can't take it. Yeah. So he's saying that like, you know, it's a high, being a vet is a high stress job. So sometimes like ketamine and shit will go missing. 
and it's just kind of part of the job. It's like NBD in the vet world when ketamine and Valium go missing. Yeah. But when euthanasia goes missing, it's like a whole different ballpark. Mm -hmm. And that he knew that Mrs. Morrow had taken some from the hospital like a few months ago. Yeah. And they were like, are you sure? And he's like, that shit's bright pink. Like, I'm not mistaken. Benson and Stabler are talking to Mrs. Morrow at the vet's office again. And they're like out of focus. And she's like, "Ah," (laughs) don't look at me. She's a very dramatic actress. Yeah. I couldn't tell if her hair was real or not either. It was really curly, but it seemed like it was all separated. She moonlights as a Paula Abdul impersonator. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're confronting her about taking home the drug. She said it was for her, which was like interesting. Right. And Olivia was like, oh, fuck, because your husband was having sex with Elena. Oh, right. Yeah. Like Olivia's thinking like, right oh, your you nose. Yeah. yeah. She's like, you were going to kill yourself pretty much. Mrs. Morrow's like, sexuality is about reaching our limits and transcending them. And I'm like, oh, shit, she's using euthanasia as like a come to the edge kink tool or something. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. Like they were like was, leaning into some. That's what I was thinking, too, for a second. Like it's like the autoerotic. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Right. I think we think way, way deep into this fucking show. <laughs> and then she said, that woman showed up at the door, referring to Constanta. Because she's like, that woman showed up at the door, threatened him, threatened our routine, and she knew what she had to do. So she invited her in and calmed her down first by giving her some tea. Mm-hmm. So she like drugged her. And Olivia's like with a euthanasia chaser. And I'm like, this episode has been so fucking satisfying for me. This put me over the edge though. Benson using the word chaser in the same way we use it to describe the second half of our show. I'm like, did Benson just hand us a 20 year old callback? Whoa. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't come up with the true crime chaser based on anything other than I, like I think about like a sidecar with a fucking Bloody Mary or something you know oh did you mean chaser like what you drink after you i was thinking chaser like we're chasing true crime oh no like (laughs) that's what i thought this whole time really yeah no i was i imagined it as like like the side to a drink or like you do a shot and there's a pickleback or you do a so cute i like didn't that's even better oh that's what in in my mind i was like we're chasing true crime together like (laughs) (laughs) yeah so if anybody didn't know what that meant it was it's a chaser it's like what you have after the main thing way cooler because Um, i was always i was like something to finish off and complement the first part yeah that's better because in my mind i was like oh that's sort of like dorky true come chaser and then now that i fucking get it i'm like that's way better oh yeah welcome to the end of season one whoa <laughs> we're learning things uh anyways she fucking killed her yeah <laughs> they, and they're like did your husband tell you to they were really pushing that yeah and she was like he didn't have to say it. he didn't have to tell me anything she like knows her <laughs> place now they're at the morrow house benson and stabler are banging on the door nobody answers fucking stabler like elbows the window in and unlocks it they run upstairs because they smell burning and mr morrow was lighting picks on fire and he's like what are you doing here <laughs> and they, right. uh, yeah you're like why are you burning sh-? whatever <laughs> he's like crouched in front of the fireplace burning these photos and it's he looks up like like <sighs> fucking smeagol and he's yeah. like oh my god but i have all of this evidence my precious <laughs> yeah they were like, where's Elena? And he said that she's gone and not coming back. Oh, so yeah. he's burning all these photos in the fireplace. And they're like, they're like, fo- like you don't get a good view of them right off the bat. But they are obviously photos of a woman being tortured. Right. Ooh, yeah. Like a pile of them, too. Yeah. They're running around the house trying to find her. And then they, they find this weird, like, padlocked wooden closet thing and break into it and it's like all this bdsm kink chains collars and stuff it was like a weighted belt bolted to the wall um and like wrist restraints and this metal head cage medieval looking thing Mm -hmm. benson and stabler were just open mouth gawking at each other yeah and like this is to me is like where this shit gets kind of dicey because like this is you know 1999 or whatever 2000 and like bdsm stuff gets like a really fucking bad name yeah they better fucking dance on this like there there's a difference between non-consensual bdsm stuff and when you think it's called bdsm then it's just fucking like rape and torture yeah um and there's a different and then there's like consensual bdsm like kink stuff i talk about fine. that later in the episode okay about cool, yeah cool, yeah i mean not like Go for it. I'm glad you saw that too, because yeah. I I was like, there's a point when they with the ADA. I'll we'll, we'll get there. Hold yeah, on. Um, yeah, and they're like, mm-hmm. my '90s brain. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Benson and Stabler are in the interrogation room with Mr. Morrow. Olivia asks where she is, and he says, "Who?" And she says, 
the woman you're torturing in all those photos. Mr. Morrow says, honey, I'd like a mineral water, no ice. And Olivia says, well, I'd like your balls in a blender, but ain't life a bitch. She says it in this angry, controlled, sexy, whispery, assertive she voice. Had, like she left her teeth at bitch. Yeah. For a long time, like an ang- like you know how you do when you're pissed. Like if somebody spoke like that to me in COVID times, I'd be like, "Wow, you have no concern about my health." <laughs> but it was like Shiro perfection. Yeah, yeah. The dude obviously isn't going to respect Olivia because she's a woman. So her and Stabler kind of showed each other that look, and Olivia says, "I got some typing to catch up on." She just got real mad men at the 16th precinct. Yeah, and uh, and leave Stabler there. They're doing that whole thing where um, they've done this in a couple episodes where they're like, you know, she leaves and Stabler is like, "Broads, am I right?" <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. And then they bond over having dicks or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Stabler's like, "I've been trying to break her in for a long time." Mister Morrow says, "I recommend the rack." It's it's excruciating. Yeah, like the medieval torture device, the rack. Yeah, and he says it has to be consensual, like it is with Elena. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah. And Stabler, he plays it cool, but he's a fiery little tea kettle. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> then Mr. Morrow's attorney walks in and he takes him out. And then Craigan's like, it gets worse. The hair sample from the rug isn't his. It's his fucking wife's. <gasps> So, oh my God, they don't have anything on Morrow at this Nothing. point. Yeah. So he um, literally just gets to like go. Yeah. So Staves is like panic. We got to get moving. Yeah. yeah. Benson and Stabler are like, we need a warrant to get those pictures and all that stuff. And we need to find Elena like now. Mm-hmm. Stabler thinks she's still alive because he keeps you. He kept using her name in the present tense. Yeah. He's like, we got to find her before he gets out of here. Yeah. So now they're they're at the court, whatever, and an ADA is working hard to get this judge to give a warrant. It's ADA Alden and Flanders mustache judge. This is yes. like the final episode of Seinfeld. Like everybody's here. Yeah. He's the one that wasn't he the one that we liked before where he was like, Oh, like in Wisconsin? Yeah. He was the one who had like the the big bushy yeah. mustache. And yeah. yeah. So she's working him real hard. She's like, We gotta get this. There's like whips, chains, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, he interrupts her and he's like, Please, New York is the home of more discipline and bondage shops than you can crack a whip at, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> And he's like, whips and chains do not necessarily mean non-consensual acts. She interrupts him and says, are you kidding me, Your Honor? Any idiot can see this woman is being held against her will. And Judge is like, you are this close to fucking contempt. And she's like, we really need this warrant. He's like, you don't have probable cause. Now you want me to give you a warrant so you can get probable cause. Nice try. And he gives it back to her unsigned. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, good for him. He's not he's, wrong. Ugh, he's not wrong, but it's he's so not, frustrating. I know, because like, dude, like think about how many people right now that would be in trouble or accused of something just because they were into kinks. I know. BD some shit. It's the law. Like, it's, he, I mean, it sucks. He's right. He's, he's right. right. Yeah. And for him to be that objective and not like, he's a judge, but he's not yeah. showing poor judgment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not a good Stop joke. adjusting yourself so hard. You're like adjust, <laughs> adjusting yourself. For the, you're like winding yourself up for the joke. But this reminds me of like the Memphis Three, those three boys that like... The West Memphis... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how the fucking main guy, he was into metal and wore like black shirts mm-hmm. and everybody was like, he's a Satanist. Blah, blah. It was during the Satanic Panic shit. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of shit that like... Like, thank God there's a judge like that. That's like, Right. Thank God know. there's a fictional television judge like that. Yeah. Remember how the dad's like, Johnny Cash wears all black? I don't understand. Like, my son can't. Like, uh, yeah. Oh. I know. At the hospital, Benson and Stabler are walking with who I'm guessing is a doctor. So she's telling them that Mrs. Morrow is there detoxing from ketamine. On the street, it's known as Special K. And this is where oh. middle America moms get the drug panic from. My mom knew drug lingo from very limited places. Oprah, Dateline, and NBC cop dramas. Right. So she's like writing down special case. She's like, I'm going to talk to Tash about that later. So apparently lots of vets are addicted to ketamine. But she says that Mrs. Morrow's addiction seems pretty long term. Mm-hmm. But since you ever go into her room, she said her husband didn't do anything wrong. He disciplined Elaine and helped her learn. She's cuffed to the bed with padded wrist restraints. And they go at her super hard. And normally I'd be like, you guys are being pretty hard on someone who's like... But somebody's fucking missing. A victim. Yeah. yeah, but they're racing the clock to save Elena's life. They're like, fuck you, lady. Like, mm-hmm. move, move it. Tell us everything. Yeah. They tell her that Elena is missing and with Mrs. Morrow in the hospital and Elena gone it's just him and their adopted daughter and that she knows he can't keep that closet empty for long and that his adopted daughter is the next logical choice of people he will discipline quote unquote Mm. she starts crying really hard because she does know it so he used to do this to her he was so good to her at first and then started asking her to do things this is where i was like i don't like that it's sort of being floated that it's kink shit because this guy would not be welcome in the 
real respectable kink community. Oh, no, yeah. Like, this is where I was like, oh, this BDSM nod needs to be addressed. Yeah, it's not. In the kink world, the BDSM, it is all about consent. Yeah. Like, the people who actually have the most control are, Are the subs. The subs, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah, so, like, this dude's just an asshole. He's a fucking psycho. Yeah. Who gets off on people not having consent and hurting them physically. Yeah. He started asking her to do things. She wanted to escape but was afraid for their daughter, Mm -hmm. so she stayed and hoped things would get better, but then they did when he abducted Elena. Mm. He kept her in that closet for fucking six months. Like, chained up for six months. Except to rape and torture her. Dude. And she was like, that's why I didn't do anything to Elena because he stopped doing it to me. Yeah. And she Sailor's like, you know what? You're going to help. Yeah. Because, like, know? she could be an accessory, like, hard. Like, she... 100%. Would be in... So- but he's like... Look at that. You're helping us. Yep. Your back's Sorry, against bitch. the wall. You need help. Yeah. This fucking scene is so good. Mm-hmm. Whoever directed the episode did a visually awesome job. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stabler and Munch are interrogating Morrow. Like he's sitting with his back to the camera and then they're flanked on either side, like facing him, but their backs are against the wall. Mm-hmm. But they're both like leaning, playing it cool. Yeah. They're interrogating him super hard and they out tough guy, whatever weird version of tough guy that this guy's doing. Yeah. It's like they're playing professional doubles tennis against me in high school gym class. <laughs> Stabler asks Munch, like, how fucking easy was it for, for us to get his wife to roll on him? And Munch was like super easy. They're like, we control your wife now. He's like, she would never testify on me. Yeah. And he's like, she doesn't blink without permission. And they're like in his face. And Stabler grabs his face oh, and he's like, blinked. she blinked. And Munch grabs his face and goes, that's where you screwed up, Chuck. And I'm like, his name's Randolph. <laughs> that was, I mean, such a subtle power move. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, last episode of the season, I'm going on record. I like Munch. Cool, 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 cool. So Munch is like, you need to let go of your judgments. I, need, I have some growth I need to do. And maybe we'll do it during the break. Okay. Uh, maybe I'll real think about. I'll think about it real hard. Give it a real hard think. <laughs> Munch has some of the best moments. Like that was a yeah. great. Okay. Okay, it was. But so Munch says, "Dude, you broke her down too much. Made her pliable." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the one thing that Morrow can't handle is hearing that they took control, and so that's really what they were plowing at him. And he's like, "I control Elena." She doesn't urinate with all my permission. And Stabler's like up in his face and he's like, stand up, sit down, stand up. And he's kind of like, I mean, they're bullying him. Yeah. But in like a great way. And Morrow's like, you've never forced to move out of me. And Staves is like, we forced you to move Elena, didn't we? Morrow sits back, scoffs and kind of smirks. And I'm like, oh, shit. He just told Stabler something. During the squad room, Jeffries and Benson are going through all those pics. Um, the pics are pretty brutal. <sighs> She's like, I can't, I couldn't believe they showed it because they never show the pics really. You know, yeah. what I mean? it's always like you see them on the sideways on a table or something. But like, they're jarring. She was like severely whipped. So Stabler comes out and he's like, I need to see those photos. Are there any that aren't taken at the house? They tell him that they can identify exactly where every single photo was taken except for one, and it's a photo of Elena's face behind some sort of mesh cage window, like it's close up of a wooden box on the floor yeah um you can see a tiny bit of rug in the photo like off to the side of this Mm -hmm. box that she's clearly in yeah holy shit it's the rug that constanta was rolled up in Dave's goes where's the confession from the wife and he goes through all these files he's like the rug was in the bedroom she's in the fucking bedroom oh that's right and they're like we looked everywhere jeffries is like it's impossible. They've searched the shit out of that place. Like yeah. as fucking Benson and Staves are running out of that precinct. Yeah. Oh, this scene. Yeah. So they're in the morrows. Benson and Staler are like all over the bedroom looking for looking for like some fucking secret trap door or something. Mm-hmm. Part of the bed like comes undone and then it like unlocks. There's a secret access point like that they find under the bed and Staves unlocks it, but then just rips it off. And I was like, Gabe, we'll give you a second. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they pull out this coffin-sized box on rollers with mesh windows all over it to see in. Elena's in the fucking box. Yep. She's begging them. She Oh my God, they get her out and they call an ambulance. And she's, she's dehydrated as shit. Yeah. And she's begging them. She's like, tell them I didn't make a sound and tell them I didn't do anything. Like he's, she's so, it's so fucked up. Oh yeah. Like if she would have made a sound while they were in there, they would have heard her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they, like they were trained. in there before yelling for her. Yeah. She was like trained to fucking, mm-hmm. oh my God. Yeah. So they're getting Elena out of the box. Yeah. Stabler's calling the ambulance and Olivia's like trying to calm her down and let her know that it's over. Oh. It's Stabler's turn with Dr. Audrey. He is zoned out like me about to cause a fender bender at a red light. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She's 
the, so they're in Stabler's therapy. Dr. Audrey asks him, how long does a case like this stay with you? And mm-hmm. he's like, a while. And she's like, how do you deal with it? And he's like, I go home and hug my wife and kids. He's like, but I don't tell them about the cases. I won't let them touch that world. And she's like, well, it's all around. And he's like, well, I'm not going to be their window to it. Yeah. Which I was like, ooh. She asks how he deals with the cases that involve children because it, it hits so close to home for him, which it does. We've seen. Oh, my God. And then <laughs> this was, oh. He was like, have you ever seen a child with no soul? Because I have. And I was like. He was like choked up, like yeah. saying that. Oh. And she's like, how do you handle it? He's like, I think a lot about the crime, the victim, the people that do that sort of thing. And she's like, what else? And he's like, how I could get away with killing them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Now they're in Cragen's office. You know. Yeah, she's all finished up with evaluations. Dr. Audrey tells Cragen that she has found what she expected to find it's in like, a job like this. Like, a, there's certain levels of stress and whatever. He goes, do you find any bedwetters or cross-dressers? I know. I was like, shut up. Yeah. Yeah. She says, the purpose of this was to find detectives who are perilously close to a meltdown mm-hmm. and help them and protect the public from them, which is good. Yeah. Cragen's like, you didn't find anybody here. And she's like, I did. So she says one of the detectives have to be removed from duty immediately, and Craigan looks through his office blinds to see a real Saved by the Bell hang no. sesh going yeah, on between dude, the detectives. They were, like, giggling and, like, tossing a football around. No, they weren't. Like, flipping each other's <laughs> hair back and, like, ah! Like, like really um, like they, like, they, silent overacting. Yeah, like they just got done painting a house together or something. <laughs> <you know? laughs> they are like, ready to go raise money for the Macs to stay open. Yeah, um, that's so I was say. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so then his face comes back into focus and <laughs> Max is like, thanks for helping me guys. So like, whatever, make the French fries, fry guy. <laughs> <laughs> so then Craig's face comes back into focus. Go get he- me a juice box, juice box. <laughs> <laughs> so Craig's face comes back into focus and he's like, who? And it's the end of season one. <gasps> what? I got to watch season two. Okay. So you know, what's super fucked. The amount of human trafficking stories you can find on the internet. I don't even, I don't want to hear it. Oh. I don't want to hear about it. Okay. See you later. Love you, bye. Love you, bye. <laughs> um, I did a lot of attempting to research it without getting into the QAnon of it all. And I found an incredible woman. Her name is Ima Matul. Ima Matul was born in Gandangleji village in Malang, East Java, which is in Indonesia. In 1997, she was 17 years old and working locally as a housekeeper. The people she worked for had family in the United States that were looking for a nanny. I also read somewhere that she had talked to a labor recruiter who set everything up. So this labor recruiter would take care of passports, visas, tickets, everything. Ima would be traveling to Los Angeles across the Pacific Ocean, almost 9,000 miles from anything familiar to take this job. The job offer included pay of $150 a month, one day off a week, her job duties would include cooking, cleaning, laundry, childcare, gardening, and washing the car. And I know that's like shit pay here, but where she's from at the time, it was really decent money. So I looked into it to compare it a little bit. Keep in mind, this is 23 years ago and I found like modern day stuff. But today in Indonesia, a nanny with these duties can expect to make $360 a month on average. And I really dug into the cost of living over there and found that about $500 a month gets you a pretty modest lifestyle. So nannying isn't getting the average employee a livable wage necessarily mm-hmm. but this information was also based on the cities and there are a lot of small villages where people live on a lot less mm-hmm. also like what country pays people a living wage also there was a major financial crisis in 1997 in indonesia that i did a little reading about i'm not going to go into details but i can see how someone from that area at that time would see this employment opportunity as something they shouldn't pass up also she's coming from a place where she doesn't have the same access to information like she's unaware of our labor laws and what she's entitled to There's no fucking internet, you know, so there's no way that she can get that information. So she's kind of taking a chance. So Ima flies over to the U.S. The woman that she would be working for met her at customs. Although this woman was also from Indonesia, she was a naturalized American citizen and her husband had been born in the U.S. What a great situation for Ima. She could earn money in the U.S. Ima was in awe by the land of opportunity shit that we sell people. And also this woman spoke Ima's language. So not speaking English wasn't a deterrent Mm -hmm. um, because Ima didn't speak English. Yeah. So when she met her employer, she was told to hand over her passport, and they told her they were just going to hang on to it until she would go back to Indonesia. She figured out pretty quickly that this was not the 
situation that she had signed up for. She was never given money. She was never given any days off. She had 18-hour work days, sometimes more than that, seven days a week. Jesus, fuck. She was not allowed to talk to anyone. Every Sunday, her captors took her to their Lutheran church. And I'm like, that's fucking rich. Yeah. It was really one of the only times she came into contact with anyone who spoke her language. It was specifically an Indonesian Lutheran church. She was forbidden to talk about her working conditions or her lack of pay. If she spoke to anyone at all and the woman saw it, she would cut into the conversation and grill Ima about like what was said. She didn't even have a room in the house. She had to sleep in a corner. Mm. I know. Ima said that the first months in this house weren't physical, but soon after she began to experience physical and verbal abuse. She was constantly threatened and assaulted. At one point, she was taken to the hospital for stitches when she was hit with a ceramic salt shaker. Everyday occurrences included being hit in the head, pushed, called names. In the last year, the abuse was just getting worse and worse. She would have bruises on her head and face. Ima couldn't sleep, so she would walk the street in the middle of the night and just think about running away. But she had nowhere to go, no money. She knew nobody. She wasn't sure what she could do because she didn't even 100% know where she was. Also, she was scared to leave because of the abuse and threats. Something that Ima had said in an interview about one of the reasons she didn't leave was, quote, she was threatening me saying that if I ran away, the police would arrest me because I didn't have my passport and that I'd be thrown in jail where I would be raped. Okay. Holy shit. So Ima lived like this for three years. Finally, she was fucking done. She was terrified, but she had to do something because everything just kept getting worse. So Ima wrote a note. Now, remember, she speaks no English at this point. So composing this note took a really long time. Like, it's been three years in the U.S., but it's not like she's been immersed in the language or anything. She's totally isolated, except for going to an Indonesian church once a week. And her one of her captors is Indonesian. Yeah. Speaks to her in Indonesian. Mm-hmm. So there was a nanny who worked for a neighboring family who Ima chose to reach out to. When she got an opportunity, Ima slipped her the note and it said, please help me. Like, how fucking brave. Yeah. Right? Imagine having to muster the confidence to write a note, hope it conveys what you're needing to convey, and risk giving it to someone. Yeah. When you're terrified of, like, it can only go one of two ways, but it's worth it. It's just fucking terrifying. So a few days later, Ima got word to have her bags packed and to put them in the garage. The nanny that she had slipped the note to had shown her boss. So then this nanny's employer made a plan for Ima to escape. So they'd arranged a time for her to sneak out of the house, grab her bag from the garage, and meet the neighbors who were in a car waiting out of sight of the house that she had been living. They took her directly to the offices of CAST, which is the Coalition to Abolish Slavery and Trafficking. There she was put into a shelter where she would live for 15 months. Not only did she get shelter, but she was given counseling, she attended support groups, and she got legal assistance. She learned to read, write, and speak English. Oh my God. She also joined a leadership development program. She went to school during this time too, and she got a housekeeping job. This is what she said about her first legitimate job in the US. Quote, I got $85 for eight hours of work. I was so happy. It was the first time I got paid. Isn't that bananas? Yeah. Ema continued diligently, got her GED, and got a job as a file clerk in a law office. She received cast services for nearly two years. So the most infuriating part about this whole thing is that the people that kept her a prisoner for three fucking years were never prosecuted because the case was apparently too difficult to prove. What? It sounded like horseshit to me. So I ended up reading in another article that the human trafficking laws weren't concrete enough at the time. So they wouldn't have been able to bring charges. In 98? Um, in 2000. Because it was three. She got here in 97 and it was three years later. Jesus so fuck. It's crazy how at the time we thought like we were so progressive. I know. God. Like it was a shitty judicial system. Like we weren't. What the fuck are we going to think now in 20 years about right now? Uh, Well, it, there's like some rough shit right now (laughs) well yeah but i mean like i know law wise like well yeah never mind (laughs) go ahead so fast forward to present day listen to this ima is now the survivor organizer at cast which has her in charge of organizing and coordinating the civil leadership program not only that but she speaks to politicians and legislators for i mean part of it is for the laws that fucked her over yeah holy shit awesome she works to increase awareness and to advance survivor-centered legislation around the issue of human trafficking she was even recognized by president barack obama as a hero in the abolitionist movement wow she met with him and he appointed her to become a member of the u.s advisory council for human trafficking in 2015 and 16 whoa then she spoke at the dnc in 2016 in support of hillary clinton Yep. Oh my God. If okay, this episode is supposed to be released on election day. I might wait a day. I might like like it's a lot. There's a lot 
happening on Tuesday. And I don't know if I'll have like the emotional energy to have this done by Tuesday. Yeah. (laughs) But who knows? What if I don't have it done? And then I'm going to bleep it out. But Trump gets elected. You can have not emotional energy for either outcomes. It's a lot. I know. I just can't with like it's the end times. This is the end times. Tell your friends about our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I ate all this entire tub you brought over. Good. You're a growing boy. Someday I'll be a real boy. Like, stop chewing into the microphone, though. Hey, Abby. (laughs) Ew. Okay, so this is the last episode of season one being released on election day, maybe, of the most insane year of our generation collectively. Just because we're all experiencing this shit. This isn't like, some people have this and some people, like, we're all fucking going through this. So anyway, we'll be coming back in 2021 with season two. Fucking iced tea, you guys. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) We may drop in here and there with some intermissions between now and then, but that's TBD. Like, we've got a couple ideas and we'll see, but mama needs a break. Tell your friends. Share our shit. Watch our Instagram and shit because we're going to do some giveaways during the break. We have things like happening. We're just not releasing any podcasts for a minute. Follow us on all socials at SVU Pod. Visit our website, svupod.com, and rate and review us on Apple Podcast, not only for my sense of self-worth, but to help us get seen or heard in the podcastosphere. <laughs> that's what it's called right yeah yeah it's everything right yeah this was a good one we'll miss you guys oh tasha this is so good i'm so glad you like it right love you bye love you bye knock it oh my god john had me watch this thing (sighs) fucking john it's so so i should send it to you it's like so infuriating what we're like oh it's so infuriating i should send it to you yeah (laughs) get angry with me who i'm guessing is a doctor she tells them that leave that in I need people to be impressed with your burping because it's you're that's one of the things I should have said (laughs) it's like your burping has always been like terrifying and like gut rumbly to people around like the bass in it it's like (laughs) say it say it again but say it right um sorry (laughs) (laughs) it was a good it was a good part I didn't have it written down I'm like (laughs) they're in the squad room Jeffrey's and Benson's (laughs) Benson's more than one. What? 